it was my accountant, Mark, that called me um, when I was 27. I remember I was driving up this, this, this uh, road called Von Harvey Boulevard. It's like, hey, Dan, you want to hear something cool? I said, what? He goes, you got a million dollars. So what do you mean? He goes, you have a million dollars in cash and like retained earnings that like, that's your money. And I was like, cool. Where can I spend it? You are listening to Conversations with Nathan Latka. Now, if you're hearing this, it means you're not currently on our subscriber feed. To subscribe, go to getlatka.com. When you subscribe, you won't hear ads like this one. You'll get the full interviews. Right now, you're only hearing partial interviews. And you'll get interviews three weeks earlier from founders, thinkers, and people I find interesting. Like Eric Wan, 18 months before he took Zoom public. We got to grow faster. Minimum is 100% over the past several years. Or bootstrap founders like Vivek of Question Pro. When I started the company, it was not cool to raise. Or Looker CEO Frank Bean before Google acquired his company for $2.6 billion. We want to see a real pervasive data culture, and then the rest flows behind that. If you'd like to subscribe, go to gitlatka.com. There, you'll find a private RSS feed that you can add to your favorite podcast listening tool, along with other subscriber-only content. Now look, I never want money to be the reason you can't listen to episodes. On the checkout page, you'll see an option to request free access. I grant 100% of those requests, no questions asked. Hello, everyone. My guest today is Dan Martell. If you don't know Dan, it's because you haven't heard of SaaS Academy. He runs one of the largest Facebook groups for SaaS founders, and it's because he walks the walk or walks the talk, as they like to say. Founded his first company back when he was 17. It failed. 19 failed again. Had a hit with Spirit Holdings, which brought him his first million dollars in revenue, and has since built two venture-backed companies, exited both in Flowtown and Clarity. We're going to jump into all of it today. Dan Martell, you ready to take us to the top? I'm ready, Nathan. Let's do this. Take us back to that 80,000 person Canadian town, I believe it was. Uh, where were you born? Yeah, so I grew up on the east coast of Canada. Cities called Moncton, New Brunswick, right on the ocean, pretty much about 20, 20 kilometers or 14 miles away from my American friends. Um, I had a pretty interesting upbringing. I, I grew up in a family of four kids, second oldest. Um, my mom was an alcoholic and my dad was in sales. So he's on the road and, you know, short version. Um, I got in a lot of trouble and got diagnosed with ADHD at 11, got put into group homes and foster homes due to my behavior. When I was 12, 13, uh, eventually things spiraled out of control to the point where when I was 16, I had a um, backpack with a handgun. Um, because the police were looking for me and I decided to steal a car. And while I was making my way out of the province, I figured I'd go to Montreal. Um, I pulled off the highway to get gas in a routine roadblock and, uh, got into a high speed chase with the police. And, you know, I didn't get too far. I came around this neighborhood, um, to try to get away. I saw an open garage door and figured if I hide out, maybe the police will kind of go past. And as I came into the driveway, I was carrying way too much speed, ended up smashing into the house and uh, went for the handgun. Were you ready to shoot the police? I was ready to point and let the police do their job. What got you um, into this position? You know, 15 in other interviews, you say 15 is sort of where you started selling drugs and getting into that world. Is that accurate? 
Yeah. I mean, I got introduced to drugs when I was 13, but what happened at 15 was meeting people that were in motorbike gangs and dealing quantities of drugs and, you know, not growing up with a big brother. I have an older sister, but I guess I always was looking for, you know, that person to, to kind of, um, you know, be that older brother. And it just happened to be with people that were twice my age and definitely not into positive things. So mm -hmm. they uh, showed me a life that I probably shouldn't have been taught at such a young age. There's obviously a dark side to drugs, but I also know a lot of very successful people that very early on, they sold something. Some people it was candy bars on the school bus. Some people it was drugs. So um, let's go to, let's put a silver lining on the drug component, at least at 15 for a second, you learned how to sell. I mean, this was the first thing you sold, correct? Yeah. I, I always joke that I got my business acumens from the streets. I mean, learning funny stuff like cash flow and fronting and freemium. I mean, were things that I, I learned selling drugs and, um, and learning how to make money and read people. I mean, some of the smartest kids, and I have the privilege of working with them today, these at-risk youth, um, their EQ is off the charts because mm -hmm. they've just, you know, they've really had to develop that muscle just to even stay alive. So which, I mean, which drug were you selling when you were 15 and what was the analogous, what was analogous to like the freemium strategy? Yeah. I mean, well, it, it's the, um, essentially freemium was try before you buy. So, I mean, weed, mushrooms, mescaline, which is like a horse tranquilizer speed, um, some Coke, although that started later on, right. When I got into that high speed chase, um, which I was high and drunk the whole time I was, I was driving that car. Um, I even started growing my own weed. So I had a whole grow ops in a house. Uh, and that's what caused the police to be looking for me. Um, somebody called the police on me and, and they found that and my, you know, so, um, you know, growing, growing weed and just, um, you know, essentially be being a trafficker, you know, so mm -hmm. freemium is just like giving people stuff and then, or even just like cash flow. It's like, Hey, you know, distribution, somebody else is going to sell it for me. Um, but I've got to carry because I got to pay, make payments on this, whatever timetable, you know, can I trust this person? You know, how do I set the, the, how do you create the rules of the game to win? Right. In any situation. And so when you were 15, sort of really getting into this sort of drug business, take us through, I mean, do you just remember generally, are we talking like you made 10,000 bucks that year top line in terms of sales or what was the general range of what you're selling? I was making around 7,000 a month, which isn't a lot, but I mean, at 15 years old, it was crazy money. I mean, yeah, I mean, this is 23, 25 years ago. So if I have my memory, you know, like we were buying a pound for like, you know, 1800 bucks or 1600 bucks and then selling it by the gram for like 25 to 30 a gram. I don't even know if that's a lot or a little in, in today's world, but, um, you know, but we, we ended up making a lot, um, because I would essentially buy wholesale and then have a few people working for me selling retail. Mm -hmm. So now let's fast forward. You're growing weed. You get the cops caught on you. You end up in a chase. You're in a garage. You're high. You're drunk. You've pulled your handgun. Fast forward three to six months, you're in jail and you say rehab and JavaScript came together for you. Take us through that yeah, story. It's, it's, it's random. I mean, so I went for the gun. It gets stuck. The police grabbed me. My feet don't touch the ground. And, and I knew I was alive the next morning for a reason. I just, I just felt like there's, 
somebody was looking out for me. I don't know who, and I don't know what you, what, what you would call that person, but um, I just, I just begged and said, if anybody's looking out for me and just help me get through it, I would just do whatever I could just to be a good person. There was no big mission or anything at that point. Um, I ended up doing five to six months in an adult jail due to the severity of my crime. I got released out of there for good behavior to finish off my sentence at a rehab center called Portage, New Brunswick, which was in the middle of nowhere as an old church camp they renovated. And I ended up doing 11 months of therapy, uh, working on myself, rebuilding a relationship with my family, understanding my emotional triggers, and just learning how to be a productive person in life as a sober person, right? I've been I've been on drugs since I was 13. So I mean, every day for years, um, it was a totally new experience. And uh, what happened was at the end of that program, I was helping Rick, the maintenance guy, clean out one of the cabins. And um, in one of the rooms, there was this old 486 computer and a book on Java programming. And that was the first time I seen computer programming language. And I started the computer up and followed the chapter one of the book. And there was like this little, you know, Java terminal that you just type stuff in. That was, there was no like visual editor or anything. And uh, I got the computer to say, hello world. And there was this false sense of confidence. Honestly, I thought, man, maybe, maybe my brain was wired for programming. And I just always thought I was broken. And uh, for me, two things came from that is, is one, my new addiction became programming. Um, I just, I just fell in love with it. Uh, there was something about writing code that would always behave the way you designed it forever. As long as the computer was just running, that really spoke to me. Um, obviously this is 97, 98. So the internet was kind of coming to life. And then the second thing was starting businesses, which I've always been entrepreneurial. My dad just wished it was on something that wasn't illegal. So I started to see, well, oh, I could build apps. I could build websites. And, um, and entrepreneurship became the ultimate personal development program. And to this day, it is. I mean, I continuously work on myself to, to become the person who can deal with a, a bigger set of problems. You know, and that's that was the that was the silver lining of that whole experience is I, I found something that not only was valuable to the market, but that I fell in love with and, and was really the replacement for kind of a big hole I had. So it's 1996, you're 17 years old, you've got some, you know, you're dangerous with Java, you launch your first company. What was that company? Well, okay, so projects and companies. First project <laughs> was, because uh, I always say like the domain you buy are projects, the incorporations are companies. The first yeah. thing I ever built that people paid me for was um, I built in Visual Basic 3 or 4, Visual DB4 which was uh, a tool for somebody to install on their computer and make a CD, a, a, like a mixed CD, an MP3 CD, based on the songs I downloaded off of Napster, okay? And the reason why I built this app is because I was pissed off with my friends coming over and sitting on my computer and, and doing their mix. I don't know if anybody listening to this remembers that, but that's how you like could burn a CD, but you had to sit there and go through all the songs and put, you know, 120 or 150 songs on the CD. So they were able to essentially synchronizing using FTP on their computer, make the, the CD for their girlfriend or whatever. I charged in 20 bucks, but I would burn it while I was sleeping. So I didn't have to take up my computer time. That was the first thing I ever sold that made me money that really got me thinking about like this concept of tools, right? Of, if I could just build something to make my life more productive, even if nobody used it or paid for it, I thought that was a cool trait. Um, so I built a bunch of stuff like that, different websites. And then my dad came home one day and he was just pissed off because he owned a cottage that he rented. And 
you know, there's a certain time of year where people are starting to plan their summer and he just was answering the same questions over and over again. No, it's not available. Yes, it's available. No, we don't let dogs in. Yes, it's close to the beach, you know, trying to describe this place. Cause again, this is people from other provinces booking in for their vacations. And he asked me if I could build a website. And as soon as he asked that, I said, well, how many people are like you? Like how many people do you think have cottages that they rent? You know? And he's like, oh, there's gotta be a couple hundred near us where we were. So I decided to start, I told him it was going to cost like a couple thousand bucks to build a website, right? Cause I had to pay for all this stuff, but I could have built it for free and, and got, you know, almost free hosting, but I wanted the money to buy servers on. It was back in the one in onecom which was a hosting company or you had to buy the physical server and they hosted it. And, um, and I built this thing in, in cold fusion, which was a programming language I fell in love with as well. And, um, that was the first time I built something not only for my dad, but I, I actually sent cold email. So, or cold mail, so the, or direct mail. Did he pay 3000 for that first website? He paid that money. It, it allowed me to run the business for a year. Yeah. And then what I, so I had to pay the monthly hosting. Maybe it was like three or 300 bucks a month or 200 bucks a month for this server. Like, cause you had to buy it. You had to like say, I want this Microsoft server with the database and you got all the licenses. And then I, um, I could, I didn't know how to reach other people like my dad. And one of my buddies, Dave, who's a big burn, like stoner dude, he laughed. He goes, dude, I think there's a magazine that has all the bed and breakfasts and cottages listed in it. Tourism guide that, that you can just call. So I got, I wasn't going to call him, but I was very introverted back then. Just, I was really happy with writing code. And, um, I ended up grabbing this magazine, hiring my little brother Mo for like two bucks an hour, three bucks an hour to sit there and transfer all the addresses and information into a Microsoft Access database. And then I did a, a word merge, mail merge in Word and printed off this form letter essentially that said, you know, if you, you know, we're maritimevacation.ca, if you want a website for your cottage listing at address, you know, send back three photos and a, and a check or some money, $20, and I'll send you back the link, and if you want your photos back, you know, add an extra $10 for processing, and I'll send you those photos because a lot of them didn't even angel photos, like scan them in. And and probably two or three weeks later, my dad picks up the mail because I was living with him, and he's like, he thought for sure I was doing some kind of mail scam because there was all this mail in the in the in the box. And I opened it up, and people actually sent me the form letter filled out with cash in the mail. And that was like, for me, what was the, what was, was the most cash someone put in a ma- in an envelope and you found in your in- inbox? The most cash in my life that somebody sent over mail. No, just from like this first, the first outreach, like the first, oh, it, was only, it was, it was, it was like 30 bucks. I mean, it wasn't but still, a lot, that's, you know, that's something though. It was a stranger that gave me money for something I built. Yeah. Like everything else was friends, right? Like the CD burning thing, my dad, but there's something about having somebody that you don't know buy something from you off the internet where I think you've gone pro. You're, there's a different level. Like a lot of people build stuff and can sell it, but you can get somebody to understand and pay for something, especially like through mail. I was, I was like, man, is this even legal? Are they supposed to be sending money through the mail? And, um, and I did that probably made 50 grand building the site. Cause I, I opened up the, the size of it. Um, but after about a year, I got crushed by the guy who had at the cottage.com who obviously had a better domain focus was all of Canada, more features. I wasn't passionate about it, but, um, that was the first time I ever made, I'd say money, you know, selling something I'd built. 
And then what you see happen with a lot of entrepreneurs is they look at the tools and things they did and processes at their last company. And usually they latch onto one of those unique ideas. And, and then that's what their new company idea comes from. I believe then when you're 19, you then get into hosting, maybe referencing back to your one and you know, what you paid one and one for the physical server 100%. stuff. So walk us through that story. Yeah. Well, so what happened was, is I was paying for, so I would, I was still building other stuff for other people. Right. So like, my friend Chris was like, Hey, we need, you know, this is the, the 99. I mean, it is, if you could write web software, like back in the day, you were in high demand, but you know, then, then all of a sudden I'm using one in one for their stuff and I'm paying, they're paying, you know, hundreds of dollars a month for hosting. And I go to my brother and I said, I had this crazy idea to build our own hosting company. My other friend, um, he had bought uh, an old house and put a server room in it for his company and was subleasing space. So I'll, I just saw the opportunity. Um, we got, I think we, re- we each did a $5,000 line of credit. So him, my brother and me, he, my brother was going to be the sales guy um, because he was very much more outgoing than I was. This and is I'm Mo. just going to sit. No, this is Pierre. Okay. So I have two younger brothers. Pierre is the one that's uh, 60. We're all 16 months apart, but Pierre is the one that's closest to me. And, um, and, and he, <laughs> the worst, the challenge for him is he didn't even understand what he was selling. Right. He was a salesperson, but he used to <laughs> came from selling cars. So um, and I was really good at just setting up the infrastructure. So I like bought the hardware, set it up to the network. I'd spend hours in the server room configuring the mail server, the the, the database server, um, the web app, everything. And, and kind of my and then we just started migrating friends of mine. I'm like, hey, I can do it cheaper just to cover our costs, right? Because we were paying every month for the bandwidth and the and the server. And um things got like we were not really making money, but things got crazy when we ended up getting the local credit union as a customer. And now all of a sudden, it's way above my abilities. I mean, we're talking about secure connections and uh, uptime. And all of a sudden now I'm, I'm upgrading the mail server on the, on the system and it brings down the web stuff. And they're freaking out because they have customers. And it got to the point where we weren't making any money. We were probably really close to getting sued by a credit union. And uh, my brother and I, and my brother sucked at selling stuff. He didn't know how to sell. And we just ended up shutting it down. So we both Mm -hmm. took a wash. I mean, I kept the server because I thought it was pretty cool. Um, But, you know. You're 19 at this time. I was going to say you're 19. It's 1999. Okay. 20. I mean, put this in perspective. I mean, people listening right now, if they have some wealth, 5K is nothing. But how much of your net worth was that 5K credit line back when you were 19, 20, and 1999? I mean, I didn't have any money. Like yeah. I, I sold stuff doing maritime vacation, but every dollar was, I bought books. I mean, I spent like thousands of dollars on computer books. Um, I, um, traveled, I bought a car. Like I didn't have any money, like mm-hmm. my net worth. That was, that's why I had a lot of credit. I didn't have the savings. We literally both didn't have money, but because we were young and we had no credit card debt or anything, you know, most banks were willing, we had jobs. Uh, the banks were willing to, to lend us some money. Um, but yeah, I mean, I felt bad enough that I vowed to my brother that hopefully someday I'd pay you back because it wasn't really his fault. I felt like it was my stupid strategy. So so you told him that he, you would pay him back his 5K that he extended on his credit? I said, it, I would like to. He, he's yeah. like, no, you know how brothers are. It's all good. We both got into this together. But I was like, dude, maybe someday I'll be able to pay you back. But but financially now at this point, you have a couple assets. You bought a car, but you have no cash. You've got a credit line outstanding. Did you use the company cash flow to pay down your credit line? Or when you guys shut the company down, did you still have 5K you had to pay back? 
Uh, I didn't have a lot to pay back. Um, turns out the servers and all the assets weren't worth a whole lot. Um, <laughs> the software, you couldn't sell the software. I mean, this is the other stupid thing. We went and paid for Microsoft licenses, you know, thousands of dollars. I would say most of our costs went into like six grand of it was Microsoft SQL Server access, the mail and the, the web app, ISS as like technologies. And, um, you know, you can't, there's no like market for selling. I don't even know if it's legal to sell software. So yeah, no, we had to take a wash um, and and pay, pay off those, that line of credit ourselves. You shut this down. You then get your first taste of consulting. Uh, what made you think that you could do consulting and have the patience to work with people that want 10,000 changes after they've already paid and finished your retainer? I thought my brother would deal with all that. I literally thought, <laughs> I know me, I can do the configuration and stuff and write code. If somebody else can take care of talking to customers and negotiate better than me, because clearly I was a shitty negotiator, because I, I would just start doing stuff and not realizing there was no money, right? I mean, the biggest lesson I learned with MB Host that I took forward from that moment was don't get into a commodity business if you don't have any differentiators that have value in the market. I mean, I was, I was competing in hosting, right? And like, I, I wasn't Amazon web services. I was literally competing against at that point, probably 500 companies that offered mm -hmm. hosting, right. With real infrastructure. I mean, I was just trying to be a low cost uh, provider and figure I'd make it up on volume and, and the fact that we had no overhead, but still is a shitty business. So you do this from like 21 to 23 ish consulting for three years. Help oh, me understand how consulting came after. Yeah. Oh, okay. So 19 to, that was 19 to 20. Afterwards, I decide I'm going to go try something completely different, move out west. I leave September 9th, 2001. While I'm driving across Canada, right? And my, my Jetta, I had this old diesel Jetta. 9-11 um, happens. Everything that I thought, I had a bunch of opportunities for consulting in um, on the west coast. All of it falls apart as I'm driving across Canada. Literally, I'm checking my black back in the day, Blackberry and seeing like, hey, no, we're looking forward. We have a hiring freeze. We're not spending. Everything's shut down. And I spent probably four months couch surfing because I had no money. What I did is I paid off my line of credit, got rid of my credit card, got rid of the line of credit because I didn't want to have it anymore because I, I thought that's what you do, right? Which now I tell everybody, when you don't need the money, get the money because when you need it, you won't get it. So I show up there, spend all my savings. I had a few thousand bucks saved at that point. And, uh, and then was like on the verge of having to come back home and, and show my, and I remember the day I told my dad, cause I worked for nine months at this one company called OEO technologies right around that time when I was 20. And that's how I paid off the NB host. We kind of did NB host nights and weekends and I got this job. And I remember calling my dad, telling him that I quit and I'm moving out West. And my dad's answer was, that's probably the worst decision you've ever made. And I was laughing because I'm like, really, dad, this you're going to tell me this thing, you know, is the worst thing I've ever done. Seriously. Like, he's like, no, this is a bad decision. Why don't you think about it? Because I was making like, I think 58 grand a year at 20 years old. At OAO. Back in, yeah, OAO Technologies, yep. which was, a, was which is in like the top 5% of people in, in my age bracket at that point, right? And yeah, I you're 20, you're 22, like, 23. 2021. 2021. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I moved out West when I was 21. Yeah. Um, and I just felt like if I didn't go, I would always regret not going. Like I just, there was something that said you better fucking go now. Cause if you stay here, 
you might wake up in 15 years going, why didn't you go? And it was very last minute. It was so last minute. I called my boss. Um, I gave him a six week notice. His name was Russell. I said, Hey Russell, I just want you to know, cause he was a cool dude. And he goes, dude, why did you tell me now? I got to tell HR. And I was like, why? He goes, well, I know the company, they're probably not going to keep you around. I still needed to work six weeks to pay off that line of credit. And I was like, so the next day HR pulls me into their office and I'm like, they go, Hey, we talked to Russell. He said, you know, you guys, you gave him a six weeks notice. And I said, Oh, Russell was misunderstanding. I said, I was, I had an opportunity, but I wasn't going to do it because I can't, I, I wasn't, I didn't want them to essentially let me go in two weeks and then still not be able to get that money. Yeah. Um, so that's how last minute it was. I literally made the decision, gave six weeks notice, called my dad and then packed up whatever I owned into this old Jetta. So yeah, so I ended up out West, no opportunities. And, um, there was this oil company called Syncrude that, um, just bought this enterprise portal software called plum tree and, um, spent like $2 million on licenses, but they didn't have anybody that knew how it worked. And that's the only thing this company OAO Technologies ever gave me was they sent me to the U.S. for training to become a certified plum tree, um, you know, integrator. And I ended up uh, getting this job. And do you, I don't know how much detail you want. It's, it's actually quite interesting because. So I went from like six weeks to two months, three months, not working and almost having to go home to finally getting an opportunity to get a job. And it was through a, a company and a system integrator who had the client Syncru. So I was talking to Syncru. I was talking to this intermediate recruiting firm and they go, what's your rate? Right. And I, and I didn't know what they meant. I said, well, you know what? I'll have to kind of run some numbers and get back to you. I just needed some time. Call my dad, tell my dad what's going on. He goes, Oh shit. You got 150 an hour. I'm 20, 21, 21. I go, dad, I appreciate your excitement for this opportunity, but nobody's going to pay me 150 bucks an hour. He goes, Dan, I know what I pay consultants. Trust me, they'll pay it. And, uh, I didn't have the, 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 the juice to say 150, but I went back the next day and said 125 and they came back and said, can you do 75 and we'll cover all of your expenses. And I, I said, uh, you know, I lit, I, I remember finally that I said, okay, I'll do it. I hung up the phone. I screamed like a banshee. And, uh, and called my dad. And I mean, that was crazy at 20, because before I was making 15 grand a year. And then now I'm going to make 150 and no expenses. So it's essentially like net and 300 and, or making 300 and net and 150. And so, um, that's what I did for two years because I worked at sink crude. I was weighing over my head. I almost got fired after the first two weeks. And, um, that's how I saved the seed money to start my third company. Your West Coast, you've got your old diesel Jetta. You you landed, you know, via your Plum Tree I've certification. Diesel Jetta, never upgraded the car. I upgraded <laughs> at the very end. I got a four-year newer wagon diesel Jetta. Wagon diesel Jetta, but you're living yeah, a life. Your like West a, Coast, you're yeah. saving up. You're making money. A lot of people in this age group would say that's really comfortable, and they end up on a ten-year track at the company and never have the courage to leave and start their own thing. When did you realize there was an opportunity to launch Sphere Holdings in 2003 when you were 24? Well, I took, I took, I, I, so I lived off of 60 grand a year, everything else I put aside. And then I went to Australia for probably, I think I was there for nine months. And, um, and then when I came back, I came back to my hometown 
And while I was traveling, I got a lot of people reaching out to me, asking me if I'd do this plum tree stuff, because I was one of the few people that had that certification. Plus now the experience with Syncrude, helping them roll up. I had a team of 30 people reporting to me at 21, 23. And um, I decided that if I could, you know, if I had four people, I remember that the number was 12. If I had 12 people that worked for me that I outsourced and worked with clients, man, I'd be making like a million bucks a year. Right. And that was like, that's like, I made it. There's nothing more you could have. Right. And uh, so at 24, I start Sphere Technologies and I hire three people right out of the gate. Uh, I think I had 75 grand left after my travel escapades. Um, and I bought a lot of stuff while I was out West, brand new downhill mountain bikes and snowboarding gear and, um, and a lot of trips, man, lots of trips. And, uh, so at 75 grand, I started Spirit Technologies and within two and a half months, learned a thing called cash flow, right? So bought, hired all these people, paid them very well, bought laptops, office space, started working with clients, flying all over the world, bunch of expenses. And then, you know, the contracts was like, you know, you start, you work for 30 days, you invoice, there's a 30 day, you know, net 60 on some of these contracts, then they would send the money in the mail. And then the bank, because I was a new company in Canada would freeze the check because it was a US company that they didn't have any relationship with for 20 business days. And there was a, a certain point when I was starting Spirit that I had no money to make payroll. And out of desperation, I called my dad felt like a complete idiot. And he told me about factoring companies. So I ended up having to sell my receivables to a factoring company for like, I want to say 27% I gave them for like 90 days. I mean, I was like, shit, this is a great business to be in. And um, had to sign a contract and da, 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 and they gave me the money and I made payroll. But um, yeah, that was, that was spirit. It was a crazy ride, 100 hours a week for four years. And um and, and really, and our specialty was enterprise portal software. So we ended up building our own software that would sit on top of that technology. Now people would call it like SharePoint or, you know, Yammer or stuff like that. But it was, it was a big deal back in 2004, 2008. Take us to 2006, you're 27. This is the year you said you made your first million. I assume that was sort of top line and it's still just selling these contracts. Is that accurate? No, that, was ca- that was cash in my bank account. Okay, got it. So your net worth at, at 27 was was a million at that point. Yeah. And I didn't even know because I was just building the company. I mean, we, we ended up doing about a million the first year and then just kept doubling every year for four years, 150% year over year. It was my accountant, Mark, that called me um, when I was 27. I remember I was driving up this, this, this uh, road called Bon Harvey Boulevard. And he go, and he's, he's always very excited. He was very uh, ADHD for an accountant. I was always like, he was a lot like me and I'm used to accountants being very mellow and, and detailed. It's like, hey, Dan, you want to hear something cool? I said, what? He goes, you got a million dollars. So what do you mean? He goes, you have a million dollars in cash and like retained earnings that like, that's your money. And I was like, cool. How much, can, like, where can I spend it? Like I was literally just continuously pushing and growing. I mean, we're doing about 30% net on, you know, three, 4 million a year. And I, I still drove my silver Jetta for most of that. Like I, I was just, I've always been that way is I, I'm, I'm okay not buying shit and instead building companies. And it was, it was while I was doing that, when I was 26, I started doing my, my angel investing, right? So I've been doing angel investing for 14 years. You splurged though in 2008, when you sold Spheric and bought a hot tub cottage and wakeboard because it was almost summer and what else do and, you need? And built a new house. Yeah. I literally <laughs> um, ordered my first house. My brother's a home builder said, Hey Pierre, let's build the ultimate house. 
dumbest design ever. It was like <laughs> 4,000 square feet with two bedrooms. Okay. And the reason it was dumb is, is I made it for like me and a bachelor and, and, and I bought the cottage, the hot tub and the, the wakeboarding boat. And, but, um, I only stick around, I only stuck around for about five months until I decided to move to San Francisco and the house got, and then 2008 happened. So September, October. So the market crashed. I ended up sitting on that house for two years. Nobody would buy it. We had to remodel it to add the third bedroom to make it even something people would buy. Well, so, so yeah, so that, close, I splurged a little bit. Close out the sphere holding story though. So you sold it in 2008. If it's doing four or 5 million top line and it's 30% net profit, and this sounds like a great thing. Why'd you sell it? You know, that's probably the one decision I would have done differently. Like now that I know what I know about business and assets and, and scaling teams, I would have kept it higher CEO um, because it was a great business. Uh, you know, it was a very niche focus. So why did I sell it? The, the, the cash, like, it's almost like I was reading a lot of business books. and I just thought that's what you do as an entrepreneur. You build something and exit. And we had this one, one of our partners was interested in buying and that kind of made me open to like, Hey, what is, what is this worth? Cause prior to that, I was just heads down building. And, um, it wasn't because I needed the money or wanted the money. It was more of just like, well, you kind of like lock in the return. So there's no risk, right? Like yeah. there was many nights that I'd, I'd be worried that I was, I was missing something and I'm going to wake up and I'm going to get sued or one of my employees are going to do something stupid, which did all happen along that journey. So I was a little paranoid. And I would say that's the big reason why I decided to exit was just, I on, and I was software curious. I wanted to go out. I wanted to go and do something different. I think that's the other thing that happened around that time is I, I kind of perfected that model and wanted to kind of spend less time operating, but going back and I don't have many regrets. That's probably one of the few that I would have kept the business. You mentioned your partner is the one that wanted to buy. How much equity of, of sphere holdings did you own when you sold it? hundred percent. And oh, when, so when I you started partner. It three initial guys, yeah, I gave them 21% each, seven, seven each and 21% total. And then over the first two years, I ended up buying their equity back because I learned there's a difference between being a founder and being an employee. Interesting. Okay. So who bought the company in 2008? It's a company called Function One out of New Jersey. Function One. Interesting. Okay. And what'd they pay for it? That number has never been public. <laughs> give me a, can you give me a range? You're doing 3 million, uh, 4 million top line, right? 30 to 40, 30 to 40% in gross margin at this point, right? Yeah. Okay. So eight figures is fine. I, so more than eight figures, more than 10 million. Yeah. Did you ever at this point, I imagine through your dad, your mom is learning about your success. It sounds like you weren't close to your mom. A lot of times parents um, who feel stuck sort of in their own life when their kids start to have success, you get a phone call and there's some awkward moments there. Was your mom ever jealous of your success? So what's funny is my mom never was. Um, my mom's a super simple person. I mean, she's, you know, really straightforward, easygoing, simple. It was, it was more my dad. And it's actually something recently we had a conversation, um, and I'll tell you this story. Uh, my brother's working on a big real estate project and he needed a million bucks. And I said, I just, I'd lend it to him. I think it was like 60 days, right? He just needs the, the money. And my dad was talking to him and saying, Hey, how are you financing all these new multi-units? He goes, Oh, well, it's going to be tight, but I, I've got a lender in place. And, and he asked, this literally happened last week. 
And, uh, and this is not like, you know, multiple exit companies in the press, won awards. Mark Cuban is an investor. Like, for some reason, my dad still had this like lens of me being this like 13 year old hooligan. And, um, and it wasn't until Pierre said, Oh, this guy, you know, it's Dan. And he goes, Dan, who? And he goes, Dan, your son. My dad was like, well, He just has a million dollars sitting in a bank account. He can just lend you. Like, and I was, and I was just like, Dad, I don't think, like, I've never, I'm, and you know me, man, I'm a private guy with my money. Like, I don't talk yeah. about it. You know, you can talk to the people I'm involved in investing in. Um, I've just never been that guy. And uh, so I've never really talked to my dad about my level of success. And I, and I, for the most part, I live a pretty modest life, but I do have some nice toys um, like my McLaren and stuff. But um, most people would never know. You know, I try mm -hmm. to live a pretty normal life because I don't want to raise my kids in, in an entitled environment. So um, that was the first time after 20 years of building business that finally, prior to that, my dad always felt like, you know, kind of weird about it. You know, because mm -hmm. I definitely created more success than he ever was. And he was still in this, like wanting to give me advice. And I would got a little bit more, you know, as I had more wins and wins, I was less open to that advice or I'd be too critical about it. So what about on your mom's side? Has she, has she ever said, no, my mom, proud of you, Dan? No, me, uh, she's always, yeah, she's definitely said that. Uh, what's funny is me and my brother bought her a company. We bought her a courier company. I don't know, eight, 10 years ago, because she was working there and she, the owner was going to sell it. So me and Pierre, I think we bought it for like 150 grand. We split it, you know, 75 grand, gave it to my mom as almost like a gift. She ran it right into the, what, it, what is a courier company? Like, um, you call them to bring stuff around. So if I have an auto part company or I'm a lawyer and I need somebody to oh. drive, it's like a taxi, but it's more around like things, right? Paperwork. Yeah. Objects. Yep. And she ran it. Okay. She didn't, didn't work out so well there. Okay. Let, well, let's, so let's go back to your story here. So you, you sell the company for more than eight figures to function one, your angel investing at this point, uh, 2009, you founded Flowtown. Uh, what did Flowtown do and why did you raise $750,000 when you were already privately wealthy? Well, so I, I had a co-founder named Ethan and at that point, I probably had made a dozen angel investments. Um, and when we started the company, originally, I was just like a non-employee co-founder. So I actually funded the first, you know, 100 grand or whatever to get the thing going. And then, you know, as Ethan executed the business and I saw the traction he was getting, I just, I just thought to myself, like, I didn't come to San Francisco to kind of do what I've been doing back in Canada. And raising venture was kind of like, the path if you wanted to build something big and meaningful. So it was really for me just an opportunity to build to like learn the process through this this company Flowtown. So mm -hmm. Ethan wanted to play a big game. I wanted to. It felt like the right thing. And um we decided to raise capital. What was it what did the company do? So Flowtown was a social marketing platform that allowed people to get the data from their email list. So anybody had contact records, we would tell them all the social media data, the demographic data, et cetera, um, and integrate it into their tool. So MailChimp used us, we integrated MailChimp content, contact, eye contact, um, CRM solutions, batch book, um, Salesforce, et cetera. So we essentially, and then we had a tools, a set of tools that allowed people to build campaigns, social media campaigns, like auto follow on Twitter, message DMs uh, on all the popular social media platforms. 
it's 2012, you're 33, you sell Flowtown to demand force. Uh, did investors make their money back there? Or is that like, you, you did Flowtown to learn the system. Now I want to get out, take my learnings, launch something new. No, I mean, it was, uh, they made their money. It was mostly, uh, there was a big, well, not big, there was, I think 30% was cash, 70% was stock. Um, I was excited because Ethan made a lot of, like, you know, a lot of money. He was only 27, maybe when he sold their, Ethan would have been 24. We started 20. Yeah. Maybe 26, 27. Um, so he, he became independently wealthy and I, I was excited about that. It didn't really change my lifestyle a whole lot. Um, but, and then, then when demand force got acquired by into it, that's when my investors, you know, they got bought for 550 million. So that's when yeah. it, Really stock was got worth that return. Stock stock was worth a lot at that point. Um, okay, before yeah, we go into clarity, but I mean, everybody told me like you never know with equity, right? It could be worth nothing. So yep. there was a big risk there. Before we go to clarity, so uh, what scale did Flowtown reach in terms of top line revenue? Best year. The best year monthly was like two hundred and forty k MRR. So that's great. Okay, five. you sell the company twenty twelve. You found Clarity FM. Uh, how'd you get Mark Cuban as an investor? I um, had already kind of closed the round. I, I'm, I'm, I, one of the things I got really good is fundraising. So kind of essentially soft circled. Originally I was only going to raise 750 K ended up, uh, one of my previous investors, Steve at, uh, Anderson at baseline decided he wants to write a check for 750 and then, and convinces me to go one six or one four. We ended up closing at one six. And, um, and then at the last two weeks I've made it public on angel list. So it was kind of like the round was done, but Hey, there could be some friends that I don't know that might be interested. And Mark saw it there. He saw all of our mutual connections. He doesn't remember this, but we actually met at a summit series in Washington, DC a year prior. Um, but anyways, it was Alex Bard from a Sicily. He sold to Salesforce. Alex is a champ. He was uh, Mark invested in the Sicily and asked for an intro, but we saw Mark sign up for the product. And I right away reached out to him. Interesting. So he and it was, signed. Pretty awesome story, dude. It was literally 13 email questions. And then the last one was like, I'm in for 250. Um, here's my lawyer. I'll let you guys finish it. What was the most surprising question? What was, what was the most surprising question he asked you out of that list? Um, you didn't expect. I don't think there was anything specific. There was, he was just a really good, he had good product sense. He was asking me about distribution. Are you going to make this work on, on Pinterest? You know, because he says, I think women and crafts, they really, they, they like to communicate more than men. So like, that was a really interesting insight from his perspective. Um, and the one thing I love about Mark is that he's always uh, responded to every investor update. And that's one thing I'm religious about. Every six weeks, I send an investor update. And he's one of the only investors I can say has always replied to everyone with something thoughtful. Very short, but always replied. So total capital and clarity was about 2.7 million. No, one six. It was one six. Okay, crunch base wrong there. One point six total in the company. You sell it to startups.co, Will and his crew in 2015. Why sell? Um, that one was a couldn't figure out the business model at scale to be a billion dollar company. Knew what it would have to take, which would be totally different than what we were doing. Essentially, we would have to go more enterprise and start selling licenses to like big hedge funds and private equity firms and stuff. And that was the model of the expert network. Um, it just wasn't the company I wanted to build, you know, so the upside of being independently wealthy is I don't have to do anything I didn't want to do. 
there was an opportunity to exit and get a medium return for our investors. And what I loved about Will's deal specifically was that he promised me he wouldn't mess the product up. And I mean, with a marketplace, you build so much goodwill in the marketplace that um, you really don't want somebody to come in and shut it down because some people's livelihood depended on it, right? If you're an Airbnb and you shut down, that has a huge economic impact. So um, not that we were Airbnb, but um, that was the big thing. And and a zero day earnout. So I got to give Will props on the negotiation. I still remember the moment I was sitting, standing in my, pacing in my driveway and he goes, Hey, I just want you to know, I don't expect you to stay more than a day. And I was like, okay, Mr. Negotiator, well done, sir. You know, cause that was, that was a big deal. Everybody else wanted uh, one firm in New York, wanted a two year earnout, Another one wanted three, you know, I so was, was all cash. I was, do you, good, own, do you own, do you own stock now on startups.co or was an all cash upfront deal? Yeah, we do. No, no, we did. We did a stack, a st- um, equity in startups as well. Similar to Flowtown, 30-70 sort of split? No, I just can't say. Can't say, okay, good. Uh, what, do you do, what are you working on now? Talk about SaaS Academy, sort of back in consulting, but productized. Yeah, so uh, after Clarity, took a year off, went to San Francisco or San Diego with the family, had a young family then. We had two kids back to back while I was building Clarity. It was crazy, they're 11 months apart. Um, Went to San Diego, and while I was there, I had a buddy, Travis, convince me to start doing videos on YouTube. He knew of me from Clarity, and when we met, he's like, you're the Clarity guy. He goes, yeah. He goes, he was working with um, a health influencer. Uh, what is her name? Anyways, he and he said, you should really consider doing videos, right? Like, I would love to hear more about your perspective on scaling these, these venture-backed companies. And uh, I give Travis Houston credit that I just started shooting videos and a few of the first ones I didn't even publish. Like I, they were so bad. I was like, I looked at them. I said, fuck, I look like an idiot. I'm not going (laughs) to publish those. But eventually I started doing it and, you know, I just decided. And then there was this other incident happened with my buddy, uh, Todd, who got diagnosed, uh, with, um, this brain, um, Herman thing. Yeah. I, I don't, and he's talked a little bit about it since and he's, and he actually has gotten better. But yep. at the point, him he had two young daughters, so the same age as Max and Noah, and he's telling me that he's already shot the videos for his kids. Yeah. And I was like, whoa, you know. So that was a big. If you look at my early YouTube videos, it was all around life and w- literally answering the question: if I had to share my beliefs on on approaching life, what would I want to share with my kids? And um, and that's what I did every week now for four and a half years. I haven't missed a Monday. Um, and because of the YouTube getting back to the coaching, um, that's when people started reaching out, uh, to have help. Now I've always invested. So I've invested in 40 plus companies as an angel investor. Um, so I didn't want to consult, um, because I was already spending time advising companies through that mechanism. But then, uh, I decided to, to create like group coaching. Uh, the first one was all business all the time. It's called a lead entrepreneur. Did that for three cohorts, which was amazing. But then I realized my real passion was in B2B SaaS. Then, so I did that for a year and a half. SaaS Academy started three years ago. And since then, we've built one of the largest coaching and training businesses for B2B SaaS in the world. How many founders have paid you at least something to coach them? Oh, thousands. Probably. You're so funny what you're backing out of numbers. Um, 
I would say it's close to 3000 at this point. Well, the reason I ask is it just impresses me. You invited me to your event in Atlanta before COVID shut everything down and I'm sitting there going, yeah, like, no, I appreciate it. I don't think yeah, people realize how big of a operation it is. It's Matt. It's Matt. There's a hundred people there. And it's not just people like I'm at one table and everyone's doing more than 5 million in ARR and they're paying you yeah. or, or equity, whatever cash to, I don't know what the dollars, tens of thousands of dollars to consult with you. It's a major investment to be there. And the reason why is, is, and you know, I don't have to do like, I could literally, I, sh- you know, I probably should be doing more work on my portfolio and, and maybe do some more real estate with my brother. But instead I decided to to double down on literally giving away everything I know for free on the internet. If you follow yep. me on Instagram, YouTube, I, there's nothing I hold back. I give it all away for free. But if you want to work with me personally in a group with other founders that are like-minded and driven, then that's what I've created in my other programs. And, you know, I love getting together in person. I mean, you see me on stage. It's just like lights me up, drives me. It's my fuel. I'm, I'm, I've gone from like introverted programmer over the years to being more of an extra extreme extrovert. Like I love people. And, and you um, should, and you should see this guy eat a protein bar in the middle of one of his keynotes during his day long event where he's on stage all day. I've never seen someone down a cliff bar faster than Dan Martell. Got to get the, the, the nutrients <laughs> in the body, man. I'm burning. I'm doing essentially a marathon a day on stage. I monitor everything with my Garmin. It's six to 7,000 calories, man. It's real. Uh, it's working. I know a $50,000 a month SaaS founder. I, I always want to test people. You said, Nathan, we love to get people in the program. I put one or two people through your demo process. He signed up and I can just, based off what he's paying you relative to MRR, I'm going, Dan must be adding significant value here and he continues to pay. So it's working. Dan, if people want to learn more about you, where can they find you online? Uh, DanMartell.com. Uh, if they want to get on a call with one of my scale specialists, see if I can serve them uh, forward slash call and on the social media profiles, DanMartell.com or at DanMartell. Guys, Dan Martell, born back in 1979, got into some trouble early on, but that trouble led to a small JavaScript book and a little college in this new Brunswick old church that he went to for rehab. Ended up getting him to the point where his net worth grew past 10,000 bucks, did consulting, got a break at OAO Technologies when he went to West Coast to make it through the 9-11 crisis, ended up getting Plumtree certification, which led him to a lot of consulting contracts, ultimately built Spheric Holdings, which ended up selling for more than $10 million. Net worth for him broke a million at this point and then got into a a lot of angel investing, consulting, things of that nature. Flowtown Clarity both did well. Now serving SaaS founders on his YouTube channel and at SaaS Academy. Check him out. Dan Martell, thanks for taking us to the top. Thanks, Nathan. Appreciate it.